0: Now, fight back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. It's a dire warning from the Ontario Hospital Association the system is headed for a crisis unless something is done very soon. Emergency department wait times hit record levels this summer, and according to the Umbrella Organization representing Ontario hospitals, the government must move quickly to beef up investments in hospitals to ensure timely access. Now, according to their numbers this past July, Ten percent of patients waited longer than the provincial average of 30.4 hours to move from the emergency to an inpatient bed when they had to be admitted. And that's the longest that patients have ever had to wait in the month of July since the province began measuring these weights nine years ago. Also, over the last few months, many of the province's largest hospitals were more than 100% full, even though... uh occupancy and demand usually drops for hospitals in the summer. We want to hear from you. What have your experiences been in the hospital? Have you or a loved one ever had to linger in a bed in the hallway uh, because there was no room for you? Or uh, have you had a loved one who's had to stay in the hospital because there was no one for them to go afterwards? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 But what is causing this and what is the solution? Uh, we're going to go to Sean Watley, who is the president of the Ontario Medical Association, and Carrie Lucky, CEO of the Circle of Care, which is part of the Sinai Health System. Welcome to you both. Hello, hello. Hi, Libby. Thank you. Hi. Okay, Sean, let's start with you. Uh, Is this a surprise to you?
2: Well, actually, it's not. As I've said a number of times elsewhere, that we choose to run our system so lean that these kind of outcomes are almost inevitable. You can't run an acute care hospital, which, which needs to see our sickest patients on a moment's notice, a hundred percent capacity you will inevitably get weights and end up with bad outcomes
1: mm-hmm uh, according to what I have seen by experts that anytime you have a hospital running at um, more than 89 percent capacity you're headed for trouble because th- there there are these surges is that right
2: well you're absolutely right Libby and you're referring to something called queuing theory this was developed way back in the 1950s it's not new And this theory applies to everywhere that you see a lineup or a wait, including, you know, the 400-series highways or even a lineup at your local Tim Hortons. So if you have unscheduled demand on an acute care hospital, so in other words, we don't know exactly when you're going to get sick. We know sort of that you're going to have this many people getting sick each day. But if you don't know exactly when the peaks and, and, and surges of patients are going to come in, the only way to guarantee that you have enough care to provide for all the sick people in your, in your population is if you keep your system at around 83% capacity, that's when you get the shortest wait times and the most efficiently run system. You'll still be able to run even up to 89 and 90%, but when you start getting above 90%, 95 100 even over 100%, you're just begging for bad outcomes.
1: Okay, uh, Carrie Lucky, uh, let's bring you in. Um, what I have observed. For years, for decades, actually, is that it's kind of a cascading effect. And the emergency seems to be the canary and the coal mine or a, a kind of a dumping ground sometimes. And so part of the problem is home care or long-term care. And you have patients who are occupying the beds, uh, and they really
3: can be somewhere else, but they don't have anywhere else to go. Carrie? Absolutely and uh, you're so right in that Libby and I've certainly experienced that myself personally with my own mother but you know the the home care system is under review right now with patients first legislation but it has it is an extremely complicated uh, place to navigate and if you are an individual who does not have supports, you don't have the daughter, you don't have the son or a friend who can advocate. And help you sort out through that system those are the individuals that often land back in emergency rooms and it is that spiral vicious cycle going back to the hospital and then waiting for a bed Uh, we you know there needs to be improvements in the in the home care sector Uh, our affiliation with Sinai is actually a great first step in that uh, in that in helping the system because we're actually now able to connect our social workers are now going down to the hospital they're meeting patients who are taking up hospital beds, and they're actually now going home with those individuals to support them in the community. And I think that's one step where we are trying to make a difference in the system. So it's, it's a, just a small step going forward, though, and there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Right. And
1: it, it, it's not just home care. It's also long-term care. We know of cases of people who are in
3: hospital, but there's no long-term care bed for them. Absolutely. There's no long-term care beds and also uh, some of the, the more complex patients that often have dementia or they have behavioral um, elements that go with the dementia, that makes it even more challenging to get a bed in a long-term care home. They need behavioral, behavioral supports in place um, and uh, it, it is a challenging situation because you've got a block at the long-term care door and there are issues getting back into the community in terms of navigation.
1: Okay, and Sean, the government says uh, they've made big investments in hospitals. Uh, How do you respond to that?
2: Well, we're very grateful for everything that um, the government does uh, when they uh, get around to investing in hospitals, and the $518 million that they've earmarked for hospitals just recently is uh, is, uh, is a godsend for sure. It's nowhere near enough, though. Certainly over the last decade, uh, at least the last numbers I've seen, Um, Any funding increases for hospitals have barely kept up with inflation. And as you know, in 1990, we had 33,400 acute care beds in Ontario. In 2017, we only have 18,570 acute care beds. Uh, And at the same time, our population has grown by 36%. Now, some of that trimming of the beds probably is, uh, you know, could have been done in the name of efficiency and probably was a good thing. But if you just keep cutting, 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 cutting beds, eventually patients come to harm and we end up, like my local hospital, the gymnasium and the auditorium were both packed, packed full of elderly patients waiting for beds in the community and so no bathrooms you know curtains around the beds and uh, yeah, it was a disaster Uh,
1: now you know um, when Medicare started it was an acute care system for you know we had a younger population people who got sick is it isn't part of the reduction of hospitals The theory behind it, as far as I understand it, is that this care is supposed to move back into the community. Uh, But, Sean, how does a backup in the hospital affect the care that that your members give in the community?
2: Well, you've mentioned two things there, Libby. So certainly in the 1960s, the average... Canadian was in their 20s in the uh, just after 2010 the average Canadian was approximately 42 to 43 years old Uh, in the 1960s we had around 7 to 8 percent of the population was over 65 today approximately 15 percent of the population is over 65 and in the next 20 years um, Kai Hai suggests that I believe we're going to have something like a 40 or 50 percent increase in the number of, um, of seniors. Okay, that's
1: Canadian Institute for Health Information. Go
2: on. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, absolutely. Now, the second question you asked me, I've already forgotten. What was that?
1: The, the question is, when you have a backup in the hospital, how does that affect the care you give in the community?
2: Oh, absolutely. It has a tremendous impact. And so one of the largest studies out there actually showed the wait times that people experience. So uh, the first thing patients will experience is that when the hospital is full, they'll come to their emergency department and say, oh, my goodness, this place looks like a zoo. And one of the largest studies out there actually came from 2011, and it looked at data from Ontario, and they found that the risk of death, the risk of death, went up with every hour of waiting for our sickest patients, so the higher acuity patients, it went up by 6.5%. So when we come out with a new medication, a new antibiotic, and we can improve our outcomes by 2% or 1%, I mean, we celebrate. Here is a measurable increase in mortality, so death, risk of death, with each hour people wait in the emergency department when they're acutely ill. And there was a similar increase for the people who are less ill. Um, this was this was major news back in 2011 in the British uh, medical journal. So patients should be concerned about it. And the important thing is we have solutions. We we I've, I wrote a book on this. We there are many books out there showing how this doesn't have to be this way. We can run things differently.
1: And and, um, Carrie, uh you talked about patients who boomerang back. Uh, to the to the emergency rooms i mean do you think that the solution is just giving more money to the hospitals or is there
3: something else no i think it's uh you know definitely it's important to have dollars going to the hospitals but dollars do need to come back to the community as well Um, one of the big reasons people end up at emergency what we find is that it's around the social determinants of health uh, it's not necessarily like an inflammation in an organ in the body. It's often because somebody has not got food or they haven't um, eaten in a few days. Somebody has developed delirium. Uh, somebody um, is socially isolated. We do find that these are our seniors who constantly are the, the ones ending up back in emergencies. And so that's where we need to wrap ourselves around these individuals in the community. It's not just about a nursing visit. It's not just about a physiotherapy visit. It's about ensuring that uh, somebody is watching them constantly, like personal support workers. We have we ensure that they are getting out of their house. They're, they're going to their local community centers. It's wrapping all those other services around these individuals to support them to stay at home and remain independent at home.
1: Okay. Let's take a couple of calls. We've got Michael in Pickering. Hi, Michael.
3: Hi. How
4: are you? Fine. How are you? Good. Um, I love your show, by the way. Thank you. I listen you. to it every day. Thank um, in 1999, um, we had a problem in our home. Uh, my wife was having a heart attack. Oh, uh, dear. Sorry. The to... paramedics, uh, they were on the scene. They were fabulous. We went to Ajax Picker and ER. Um, of course, she went right the way in. Um, they were not able to resuscitate her, and she I'm died. I'm so sorry. And that's an emergency. Yep. The work that they do and the overload and the nurses, and like, it's indescribable, and, you know, as a... A widower, um, you know, I think about these things. And I broke my arm on my bike a couple of years ago. Um, went down to Picker, and I went in, and there was a lot of people there. The bone was sticking out through my arm. Oh, my God. And they fixed me. And it was the same hospital where Diane had passed away. And, and I just said to, uh, to one of the doctors, I said, you know, you guys are fabulous. I think we have to understand you know, there's an emergency and an emergency. And the person before you're speaking about, listen, I'm a senior. I'm 73. And, you know, when you get old and tired, you, you, sometimes you don't have anybody to look after you. And I feel sorry for those people. When you go to the hospital, it can be frustrating. Yeah, but, you know, there are people that are coming on in gurneys that are really nearly at the end. So, you know, don't get frustrated. Life is more important. Okay, distance, well... Patience is a virtue.
1: Okay. Thank you for that, Michael. Uh, Sorry to hear about your experience, but um, take care.
4: It's a real thing. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay.
1: Bye-bye. 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 Martha in Port Perry. Hello, Martha.
5: Hello, Libby. How are you?
1: Fine. How are you?
5: Very well, thank you. Go ahead. Libby, I talked to you some time ago about shared living in yes. ownership houses and whatnot. Yes. And what I'm hearing right now is a, a plea from the people who've spoken about a multifaceted investment situation that addresses a multitude of things that could easily have a, an ultimate impact on relieving some of the pressure on the hospital beds. If If seniors can't go home because they live alone, then they are holding those beds inappropriately. And so, investment from Ministries of Housing and Ministries of Community and and Social Services could possibly provide information about different kinds of models Then, I think going forward with this huge group of seniors that are coming along, we might actually see more people choosing to live like I and my three housemates live and potentially reduce that kind of pressure.
1: Uh, I I think you're on to something there, Martha. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Well it it's interesting and, and in our previous discussion, uh, Sean and Carrie, you mentioned uh loneliness which has uh been identified as as a real health risk and Martha, I've talked to her before, uh lives communally with three other roommates and um how much of a problem is isolation in in this whole mix, Sean. It,
2: Sorry, d- Carrie. Did you want to answer that? I, I was
3: going to say something, but did you want to yeah. say
2: something no, first? Please go. Go. You go ahead. Okay. I was going
3: to. Isolation is is definitely a problem. It's huge. Um, but what I wanted to say to what Martha said is there is a philosophy it's called assisted living sometimes uh, it's linked with supportive housing but we have a program for example that uh, is funded by the Lynn and we have two major hub buildings and the major, all the clients in those buildings are seniors and what we do is again we wrap the services in those buildings we have exercise and falls prevention classes in those buildings so we keep people mobile our personal personal support workers Are there 24 hours so it's about having people together as she said in a communal setting and you've got the supports on site if um, any of those clients need those supports if they needed a PSW to go in in the morning to do a medication reminder the PSWs are in the building so I agree that investment in housing and looking at that issue is huge as well and, and it has to be multifaceted as Martha said Okay, we are uh, running out of
1: time on this. Uh, Sean, uh, just to wrap up, do you think that more investment in hospitals will solve the problem at least short term? And of course, when they say funding a hospital bed, that's the nurse, uh, support workers, all of the above. Sean?
2: Well, I think we we support that we need to have hospitals having enough resources and capacity to meet patient care needs. But we also need to have um, a talk and and have everybody sit down and talk about appropriately organizing the way our healthcare system runs. Most of the patients, I spent 15 years in a large acute care um, emergency department, and most of the patients that I was seeing that really needed the care, they were medically complex patients. So, yes, they were often isolated, but oftentimes they had families that had already done everything they possibly could and now they were just at their wits' end and and those are the kinds of folks that were filling up our hospitals. Certainly, anybody who had any ability to get home uh, were being put home sometimes inappropriately early so I think it 's more than just funding I think funding's part of it, but we need to have a wider conversation that pulls in people from the community, pulls in families and patients and and the acute care sector, and have everybody work together to find a solution. Other countries have solved this already.
1: Okay, well, that's a good point, and uh, I think uh, it's a conversation that we are definitely going to have to pick up. Uh, I also believe that the answer is not just money. It's reorganizing things a bit. Uh, thank you so much to Dr. Sean Watley, president of the Ontario Medical Association, and Carrie Lucky, CEO of the Circle of Care. Thank you both.
3: Thank you, Libby. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to 1. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to 1. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.